Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. I know it's the end of January, but since it is the first episode of 2023, happy New Year listeners. Hope you had a nice Christmas, hope you had a nice New Year, and I hope you had a nice listicle season, of course. I took a break from the podcast for December, but we're back, hopefully, better than ever and starting off strong for 2023. Coming up today, interviews with The Murder Capital about their second album, Gigi's Recovery, and Graham Patterson tells us about Out of Place, a documentary on the Limerick music scene by the people who brought you Phelan Agrena Festival. And then we have a trio of great new tracks to play out this week from David Kitt, Soft on Crime and Montauk Hotel. Jewels on the signs of streets with strange names that I've seen before The sun and horizon collide in a way that's unnatural This is Only Good Things, one of the singles from the Murder Capital's second album, Gigi's Recovery, which has been garnering rave reviews in the first week of its release. The Guardian says while Gigi's recovery isn't always bursting with the joys of spring, a first draft was rejected for being, quote, fucking depressing. It extends their post-punk palette brilliantly beyond the monochrome grief and pain of their 2019 debut. That 2019 debut was called When I Have Fears, which was a slow burn for me. It took me a while before it totally clicked, but oof, when it did. Gigi's recovery also took a while to hit properly. Maybe it's because it's a bit longer at 12 songs. Maybe it's because it's not as visceral as When I Have Fears. The first song on Fears is the menacing for everything, while here it's existence, where singer James McGovern sounds quite vulnerable. James is from Cork, but I went even more local for this chat and talked to fellow Ross Carberry man Damien Tuat, the guitarist. We could have talked for ages about our home village in West Cork, but don't worry, that takes up only the first couple of minutes of the chat before we talk about the journey of the murder capital, where completed by Cahill Roper on guitar, Gabriel Pascal Blake on bass and Dermot Brennan on drums. They formed out of BIM, the music college in Dublin where they were mates with Fontaine's DC, who they'll probably always get compared to, both in terms of sound and possibly trajectory. But Murder Capital are trying to go in a different direction on Gigi's recovery, and who knows where it'll take them. I chatted to Damien over Zoom while the band were in rehearsal mode in London, where I think they're all currently based. You might have seen them do some acoustic lawn shows in Ireland in the past week. They're back for a full band show at Vigor Street at the end of February, the 26th, if you want to put it in your diary or calendar. Maybe you got one for Christmas. Here's Damien from the Murder Capital on The Point of Everything. So great to talk to a fellow Ross Carberry man. It doesn't happen too often, a rock star from Ross Carberry. So tell me, how did you get on uh, at Christmas? Were you back in, in West Cork? Uh, I, I was back um, only for a couple of days, though, because my girlfriend, uh, she's from Canada. So this was the first time I had to split it between the two. It was nice to get over to Canada. Though. I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't been since I was about three. So that was, that was a nice part of the holidays as well. Oh wow! Are you are you half Canadian or? Um, yeah, I actually do have Canadian citizenship. I only got that recently. It's my wow. um, my yeah, my um, my granny was born there oh, on my okay, dad's side, right. but my my mom's purebred Irish. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just before we press record, we were getting a little bit into the politics of Ross Carberry. But tell me about like growing up there for for you. You're about ten years younger 
than me so I don't know if you had it any different than I did but you, did you enjoy growing up in Ross? I, I actually grew up um, about 20 minutes away from Ross kind of outside Skib in between like there and Drummer League kind of near Maldrahan I don't know if you know it. but um, we, we moved to Ross or on a Hincha more specifically when um, I guess I was 17 or so so the bulk of my growing up was was a little bit more rural than than Ross, but um, Ross is where I went to the secondary school and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I really liked it. I, I loved the the space that I had in, in the countryside as as a, as a teenager, like just growing up and having time to just pursue interests like music and stuff, you know, without too many distractions. Right. How how did you get into the into the music? Because I don't know if Ross has a musical um, output or a course or anything. No, it was it was through my dad. So his his um. His parents, like, they used to busk him and, it, like, their whole family as a kind of like a, a family busking band around Cork, and they did it a little bit in France and stuff. So music was in the family that way, and he got me a guitar for my 10th birthday and, and taught me a couple of chords. But it was he taught me, I think the first song was The Gambler by Kenny Rogers, so kind of a different type of thing. But uh, uh, shortly after that, I think he got he realized that wasn't kind of exciting much much passion in me and got me um two green day song books so i just uh learned all their stuff <laughs> so it's all through your dad that the music came pretty much yeah i mean my parents were always big into music like we'd go to concerts and stuff a lot growing up but uh yeah that's the link there were you in any school bands growing up in in ross uh i was because it's like you know yourself it's kind of hard to find musicians in, in rural ireland so i was in a band with Actually, you know, I was in a band for a little while with a couple of lads in school who were in the year above me. Um, I think we only played one gig in the Barrows. Uh, and then I was in a band with two friends who went abandoned, but um, I don't know if we ever played any gigs apart from busking. We didn't have a singer, so nobody would book us. None of us were willing to sing. So did you do loads of, of busking? Was it a good kind of uh, grounding in like playing music live? I mean, I say we, we did we, like we probably did three or four gigs, you know, and and they were like a, a huge undertaking to try and get those done. Like, but. but you didn't busk with your with your dad or anything like that either. No, no, no. He kind of like I mean, he like he'd always play guitar for us at home. Like when I was growing up, like when we we're in the bath, but he'd he'd be watching us so that we didn't drown. He'd just play songs, which is uh, kind of a nice memory. But uh, no, he's he, he he never really busked when I was older. And how do you feel about going back to Ross now? Sometimes, like like I was down at uh, at Christmas as well, and I'm kind of like, oh man, what am I what am I going to do when I'm at home? Now, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> how do you find that? Because you're like living in London at the moment, so is it kind of weird coming back? Um, yeah, it is. It is a bit like um, I, I missed all like. So I, I was in Canada for Christmas and then went back just like for New Year's. But all my friends had pretty much gone, they came and went. So I missed them all. So all there was to do really was just to kind of go for walks on the beach, which is a pretty good reason to go home. Like there's nowhere else like it. Yeah, there are worse places to grow up, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your own journey. Like what happened after uh, you did your leaving certain stuff? Did you go to UCC? No, I went to BIM actually. I um Oh okay. I was, BIM was, was it BIM was a thing back back then. Yeah, so it had only been going for two or three years, I think. Um and like I, I was I was conflicted a whole year, like really stressed out about it, you know, like when you're seventeen and you feel like it's I don't know, the be all and end all of everything. You can't such have such a limited scope of experience of what life is and it all just feels like a lot. But um but my mom kind of encouraged me. Like I, she knew that's what I wanted to do. I was obviously music obsessed and playing guitar any chance I could and making music on my laptop and stuff. And she could see that. And she kind of just gave me a gentle, a gentle push to be like, "This, you need to do this." So I did end up going to BIM, and I only stayed for two years or so before dropping out because the band kind of took off fairly quickly. And um, that was I mean, we used to kind of joke we're like. That was the dream like, to get the drop out. So as soon as there was any whiff of it, we did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how how long is a is a course in BIM? I, I talk to people who who've kind of gone through it. It seems like a lot of like younger Irish bands are kind of coming out of BIM now, which is great to see and everything. But how long is is a course supposed to be? Or back the then? course is is is, is, 
it's four years. Um, my brother's actually just gone into the into first year now. Um, but uh, like it's just it's just the best place to meet musicians. You know what I mean? If you like, that was that was the best thing I got from it. Was I I, I met I met the lads, met like minded individuals who wanted the same thing and wanted to work towards it. So, and I don't know where else I would have found that. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Did did you were all of the other guys in the same year? No, James was in my year, and then Pump was in the year above. Gabe was in the year above, and D actually is a bit older. He's nearly he's thirty this year. Um, he graduated, had lived in New York for a year, and then we had a different drummer, um, Morgan Wilson, uh, who just didn't, he just wasn't feeling it. And uh, same, we had a different bass player, um, so we we had to get in. We I think we asked uh, Tom from the Fontaines if he knew anybody, and he recommended D. So. So great great and so like fontaines are obviously like the other big graduates from uh bim too i presume that they were just mates that you met there as well yeah i, I don't know if we met them through bim directly or if it was more kind of through workmans i think james had met them and obviously i would uh, their manager trev he, he's the booker for workmans or was anyway at that time so it was just kind of all through that and then Played a few gigs with them, got friendly. It was, I mean, they, they were, them and Girl Band were um, just really inspiring at the time. It was just like, because before that, like, it was just, I don't know, you just didn't think it was a, a doable thing being in a band. I was like, I was wanted to get as good as I could and become like a sex musician, which I don't know, it seems like it's even harder to do that than to be in a band. Like, it's like, uh, yeah. But uh, so I was like, or else I'll become a teacher or something. But I, I never had kind of even allowed myself to to dream of being in a band, if you know what I mean. It just felt a bit, you know, when I decided to do music in college, I was just trying to be as realistic as possible. Yeah, yeah. No, like, I mean, that's what's great about BIM, that people do have that option to go there after school if they are big into music and want to try and continue it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you recommend people people do it, like, if, if they are into wanting to pursue music? Yeah, I think so. I I just think uh, I I would just put the disclaimer that like you can't you have to go in and and be incredibly self motivated as well. Like I don't think it's not going to do anything for you on its own. Nothing like I mean, no degree or anything will. But I think especially in music, because at the end of the day, the piece of paper isn't really worth too much. Like the the the, the degree is not going to get you a job in music. So it, it's like up to you to use the resources there use the amazing staff and like you know try and get every bit of information you can out of them but you know that and that's kind of up to yourself at the end of the day as well like so yeah that's yeah. the one thing i'd say and tell me about your friendship with james i mean was it there from the start did you always know that you were gonna start a band this band not really like i'd seen him like in college there like at the end of every term there'd be these end of term concerts right and if you you're like everyone have to perform a song it was part of your examination but the, the they chose the the, the the best or their favorite or whatever and you get to perform at this thing and i'd seen him perform at it um at the first one and i was and he <laughs> he played this song which i thought was really good and it was just kind of edgy and then he, 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 at the very end, he jumped down off the stage and got into the crowd and then faced the stage and just started clapping in the most like, robotic, aggressive way. And I was just like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> so I, I hadn't thought to my mind. I was like, I want to I play with that guy. Um, and then he just saw him posting in, on the BIM page, hey, I need somebody for the next exam. And I was like, would love to do it. And I think he replied and was like, oh, sorry, I actually have somebody. And that was Pump because he uh, played with Pump before. And then he replied like an hour later being like, actually, fuck it. I'm not going to play guitar. Let's have two guitar players. So I did that. And uh, we just kept doing that for the end of terms. Uh, and th that was his own songs. Like I was, I was playing with other bands at the time. And then I think it was kind of through the influence of the Fontaines. It was just like, no, we actually wanted to, we want to do a band together. We want to like all be in it together. All write the songs. So were Fontaines that big an influence even back then? I think we're talking like 2017, 18, are we? Yeah, but I mean, they didn't. They had only a couple of tunes out. It was more just from talking to them. Oh, okay. And and like uh, just talking about like the longevity of a project and if it's all split equal, you know, it's just it's kind of it makes sense. You know what I mean? I suppose as well. Like we we, we it was his songs, but we were all writing parts 
and then we were starting to write our own songs and it was like well this is it's kind of it was kind of turning into a band as well so it was a mix of things but yeah and so james is obviously from cork as well i mean like do you distinguish yourselves as like a cork band a dublin band or this or that or does that even come into it well, it's like we're from Cork, but then Pump and Gabe are from Donegal and these from Chaplin. So it's kind of, we can't really claim any one place. So, <laughs> And we all met in Dublin. So it seems like everybody just says we're from Dublin, which is fine as long as nobody from Cork reads it and thinks I'm a prick. Um, I, I always think of the gig that I, I wasn't there. I didn't see Shane playing in Dublin with Murder Capital and Fontaine's DC on support. That was back in 2018. But that really feels like it was a gig to be at did that feel like a particular moment for you guys yeah for sure i mean that was probably the biggest we played at by a good bit and it was also just like yeah we we like just thought it was we just thought it was the coolest thing ever i think and so like fr- from there what happens you release your debut album when i have fears in 2019 uh, how, how do you look back on that album um i look back on it finally now that we finished the second one but for ages, I was like borderline ashamed of it. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, just because we, we ended up touring about it, tour, touring it so much, and it was really only eight, eight or nine songs that we were doing, and we, we ended up having like two set lists that we thought were doable. Uh, I, I must have played like 200, 250 gigs just with those songs. And so you just get into a weird headspace. And it's like, that was the sound of that first album. But like, it, I, I just after a certain point, it didn't feel like it represented all the sort of music that I that I loved and that I was super passionate about. And so, I, I mean, I, like, I think I just really got into my head about it. I, and, and I think another part of it was that, you know, when you have one album out and a couple, couple of years pass, then you just feel like, oh, that's the, especially with just one. And it's like, that represents me. But once you, if you've grown past that moment, it feels a bit odd if people are looking towards that and associating with it, with you. So now having finished this other one, I'm feeling more connected to it because just because it's more recent, like, it's like now I can put the other one in its place as being like, oh, I made that when I was 20, 21. As a debut album, I can be proud of it. But it's not the only thing out there that's, that's, representing me if you know what i mean do you think the rest of the band feels the same i think uh, more or less uh i don't know i I don't really want to speak for everybody i i I don't think maybe everybody had such strong feelings about the first one as i did in that in that sense and was it just kind of the the uh distance between the two albums like it's been two and a half years since it was out did it feel like it was just becoming a bit of a weight on your shoulder a little bit yeah, it did, and it was just like, I don't know, I just didn't, I just couldn't be proud of it. I don't know what it was. I, I, I really, it, it, it caused me a lot of uncomfort, but I just think, at the end, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, because it's just like, it, it, it forced me to like really want to improve and improve my skill sets and improve what I could bring to the band, and I think that ultimately ended up like, you know, making making something that I think is better. But I mean, you know, you could show you could show two uh, you could show one person both albums, and they just might prefer the first one. And that, you know what I mean? That would just it would just appeal to their set of influences. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it was successful. It got played loads on UK radio. You got to tour shows in the UK and Europe, maybe even further afield as well. And what was that kind of always the plan? Were you always looking outside of Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I think we always just wanted the tour from the very beginning. It was just like, that sounds like, that sounds like the best thing ever. It was just, you know, getting to go to new places, play shows. That was, that was always the, the goal. And we got to do it, you're right, we got to do it an awful lot in the first album. And then, like the pandemic, we were, t- we were two shows into an American tour, our first American tour, which was supposed to be like six weeks long. And uh, had to come back because the whole whole country shut down because of COVID which at the time was really tough to deal with and like took a year or so to honestly get over that sort of disappointment. But at the same time was probably for the best in a lot of ways. Like I think we were all feeling the weight of playing the same songs every night. And I think we just needed a break and just to like come home and look after ourselves. And probably some time apart as well. Like, I mean, did you all just go back home across Ireland? 
yeah we all went back to our parents houses basically and uh yeah like so we got so that would have been march and we got back to start writing in june in dublin and that had been three months apart which is at the time was the longest amount of time we'd spent apart since like starting the band like before that had been like two weeks or something so i remember we got we rented this uh little house um near thomas street uh, and we all arrived there on the first day and it was it was a little bit awkward like and we definitely like i'd gotten into like sampling and was recording music at home the whole time and experimenting with bits and pump and gotten some synths and stuff and he was doing that and him and me were on, on quite a similar page but i i think it was like him and me had just gone full steam ahead. We want to go explore on that thing. And I think it took a little bit of time for everybody else to be like, oh yeah, I can see I, I can see that. Or, Cause you know, I mean, we were bringing in stuff that was pretty alien to the headspace of the first album. Mm. D- did you find like, it's that old cliche of the difficult second album? Um, I, I feel like our struggle was, was maybe different to the cliche. Cause I feel like the, the cliche is that you have, you know, your life to write the first one, whereas we wrote the first one in about seven months and didn't think about it too much. And I think what made the second album so difficult was deciding to develop the sound substantially and also do so while being in complete isolation for a couple of years with, with, with the lockdowns, like, uh, that was the thing what was was what made the whole thing so taxing was it was just the five of us in a house after, like we were in Dublin for that summer and then ended up going to the countryside which we thought was going to be for six weeks but it ended up going on for months and months and months you know it's just like we, we were where we were riding was like it was like the kitchen and the sitting room and the sitting room was where all the gear was so there was if it wasn't going well there was nowhere to get away from it where, where in the countryside were you recording uh, we were in Wexford okay um, yeah. I was I was reading James's interview in the Irish Times at the weekend, and he's quite plain speaking about about that creative process. He says that like there were these mad arguments to the point where nothing was conducive to the writing of the songs. Like, yeah. was that there in the first album as well? Like, were you kind of like totally, arguing yeah. with each other? Oh, like there was times when me and James would be would be like uh, would be in the studio on the first album and screaming at each other and have to leave the room and and take it out into the car arguing like that and i'm happy to say that when we did the second album nobody yelled once it was all just discussions but like it took it took those two or three years to gain that sort of ability i think uh, to just talk about things more and i mean there was times when like pomp had to take a break from writing then i had to take a break from writing gabe had to take a break from writing uh during the pandemic because it, it it just got too heavy like uh, mentally yeah well yeah and and just interpersonally i mean like we're, we're we're the only people we're hanging out with but sometimes you know you just would have big disagreements on where things were going but it was also i think where we all were emotionally at the time you know like uh, i'm sure you can remember it's like everyone's mental health was fragile during the time extremely so so just we were putting a lot of pressure on ourselves and i, I probably felt a lot of pressure because it was like I think we'd expect to tour that first album for the rest of 2020. And then it was like, right, that's gone. So you need to come out with the next thing. And if you don't, and if it's not good, well, then, you know, nothing's going to happen. So there was a, there was a fair bit of pressure on that, I think. Hmm. And like, were you ever wor- worried about it? Like the way that the creative process is co- was kind of tied into that ar- argumentative process at all? Yeah, like... <laughs> We came to the realization during the whole thing that it was like we're the work and if we're not looking after each other it's just not going to be sustainable we're not gonna we're not gonna make a second album we're not gonna make a third so it was it was kind of through that but i just think we improved our our listening and 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 communication skills a lot because like you know, with the first album, it was seven, eight, nine months, whatever it was, writing it. And that was seven or eight, nine months that we'd known each other. So, like, we really didn't know each other. We didn't know the ins and outs of people's personalities, how to, how to, how, how, how to talk to somebody. So that's kind of what we had to learn uh, on the second one was how do we communicate? How do we? And the thing is, as well, we all have come from five quite different places musically. And that's what I enjoy about the band is the sum of the parts is... Uh, you know, none of us could write this music on our own. 
because everybody's influence is, is all over it. Great, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm guessing, like, you know, you talk about the ugly side, the fights and the arguments and stuff like that, but then it is, like, great being in a band still, I'm guessing. Yeah, but then it's, like, the other side of that is, is the, the love. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get like, but the five of us do, do really, I think, love each other a lot and have, have been there for each other through the last three years and I've, I've really held each other up. And I think this album, making this album was just this beacon of hope at the end of it all was like, if we can just make this album, if we can just do this, if we can just keep going with it. Because like a, a lot of the songs on it were just like, we had a lot of the original ideas from that summer in Dublin, but it really took the two years to finish them and get them to where they wanted to be. And it was just chipping away at them little by little, figuring this bit out, saying, oh, we don't like what we've done with that. Can we pair it back or blah, blah, blah. And just like, but just like setting your sights on this will get to that place and just stupidly believing it. Because like, a lot of the time there wasn't, there wasn't much proof that it was going to go there. But yeah. The album is Gigi's Recovery. I've only been able to listen to it a few times, but it does sound great. It sounds like um, progress as well from the first album. Are you, are you proud and happy with how it's turned out? Yeah, I, I, I really am. Great um yeah. return my head is the is the latest single from it i absolutely adore the track i think it's absolutely brilliant tell me a little bit about creating that song in particular like what what was it like uh, that was the last song we wrote for the album um which is similar to the first album don't Claim life was the last song i think that we wrote for it. um i think we just like kind of looked at the batch of songs that we were going to put on the album and just kind of was wanting something just Fast, short, sweet, you know what I mean? Um, and so that was that song. I think it started with the synth patch that's kind of buried in the mix, but it's like this sort of modulated, bit crushy kind of thing the pump had. And yeah, it came together pretty quickly. I mean, most of the, some of the songs came together. Like Ethel came together really quickly, and then we just completely abandoned it and were like, no, that's. That shit. And then, like, right before I went into the studio, it was like, I think I showed it to my girlfriend, and she was like, Oh, I really like that. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Uh, so then we, 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 uh, we gave it another chance. Great. So, uh, what about personally, like, on the album? Is there is there a track that you're particularly happy or, or um, proud of, like, guitar wise? Um, Maybe you can, uh, you can say the whole album if you want. <laughs> no, no, it's probably a mix between the stars, just because I had that little riff uh, for ages and the drum part with D. But it just it took, like it was only like a year later that I wrote the the chords for the chorus, and it just was just another one where it was like it, that I could easily have been one of those ideas that just got left behind. Um, and also then uh, crying, I'm I'm really proud of that and. Uh, Happy to get a, a little bit of sampling in there as well. Very good. Um, so you're currently in the recording studio talking to me from the recording studio. Is the plan just touring, touring, touring for the rest of 2023? Yeah, pretty much. Man. Um, I think it's in stores next week, starting next week, um, and then have a couple of days off and then we're touring UK and Europe and then a week or two off and then it's America. And after that, it's still going to be festival. So it's exciting very good a busy year and so i have to ask when is the triumphant homecoming to ross carberry i can't believe murder capital haven't done beat on the street in ross carberry or anything like that <laughs> yeah. yeah well we were supposed to play in Connolly's before the pandemic um it's just a question of it, the rooms are just kind of small so trying to financially get down there is kind of a challenge but one day one day cool well listen yeah. uh great to chat to you great to chat to a fellow ross carberry man about music and uh congrats with the band and congrats with the new album and best luck with the year okay cheers man thank you cool nice, nice you one do. thanks a lot i had to realize to begin to survive i gaze to the satellites no spare change in
This is Return My Head, the brilliant latest single off the Murder Capital's second album, Gigi's Recovery. They play Vicar Street on February 26th, and if you've seen them before, you know it'll be a memorable show. And if anybody wants to get in touch and talk about Ross Carberry. But from West Cork to Limerick, and out of place, a documentary from the team behind the Fail in a Grain Festival, directed by Graham Patterson. You might have heard me talk to Dermot about the festival on episode 231 last year, but if you need me to jog your memory, Phelan Agrena is a voluntary organisation that places a spotlight on music communities in Limerick City. It began as a yearly music festival, and over the past two years, the team have been working on a project called Out of Place, a documentary in two parts, comprising a feature-length film and a 100-page photography book. Out of Place is a meditation on the role music plays in building community, exploring the tensions that emerge when musicians struggle to carve out a space for themselves in their city. Featuring performances from God Knows, Denise Chyla, Murley, Hey Rusty, His Father's Voice and post-punk Podge and the Techno Hippies, the film is an intimate portrait of a local music scene, capturing the incredible diversity of cultural activity happening in Limerick City. There's also an accompanying set with original soundtrack for the film by Michal Keating from Bleeding Hard Pigeons and rearrangements by Naive Ted and Deviant. The film is going to be shown around Ireland in the next month. The dates are January 27th at the Bell Table in Limerick. I believe that sold out for the Irish premiere. February 4th, they're in Triscoll and Cork. February 16th at A4 Sounds in Dublin. February 17th at the Spirit Store in Dundalk. February 18th at Queen's Film Theatre in Belfast. And February 25th at The Model in Sligo. I talked to Graham Patterson about Out of Place and here is that chat. Where did the idea for Out of Place come from? It started off as an idea of like wanting to celebrate like our kind of music scene and, and community in Limerick. I wanted to make something that was like about ourselves and leading up to this project started in 2020. Uh, so leading up to that, uh, we'd had like a great run of like a year or two of just like amazing gigs that were being held. Our, uh, all of us and friends were organizing and we wanted to yeah celebrate that. Then, yeah, it was lockdown kind of c- came around and we couldn't do our Phelan Agrena Festival. So it was a, c- a case of, okay, we put our efforts into a new project. And so what turned from maybe like the idea of maybe doing like uh, a music video or like performances and interviews, I, I kind of proposed the idea of let's do a film in the first place. So yeah, that's where we got the idea to the film would be about celebrating community DIY spirit. And then once you kind of get on that journey of making a documentary, this story kind of changes in front of you or, or you kind of realize what the bigger story is. Go, go on. What, what's, oh, yes. the bigger, what's the bigger story then? Uh, so, yeah, no, we were kind of, we realized as we were kind of shooting this during lockdown where, I mean, typically you might make a music documentary where you follow bands on tour and all that kind of thing, whereas all these gigs so with that, like having that removed, um, it was a case of, okay, what's happening behind the scenes? We kind of realized without gigs, without live performances, what you're left behind is people trying to make music rehearse. And it revealed to us that people are struggling to find spaces to do these things and that those spaces aren't really, um, they don't really necessarily exist. And what people do is adapt and try whatever the kind of, whatever is kind of random, they make fit for a purpose, but there is nothing particularly laid out for anyone to use. There's no necessarily like rehearsal spaces as such, or, or just, it's all, it's a lot of it happening in bedrooms and wherever people can meet up. So you're the director, but it says it's a film by Phelan Agrena. How many people are actually like involved in the making of the project? I would say there's about roughly, we have like a, Failing the Grain is a team of roughly maybe 20 to 25 people. And then the film itself is maybe just over 10 people of like people who are just uh, working directly on it. So we have like, uh, there's a few of us and it's all like people who are, yeah, we, we could same people who run the festivals and organize the gigs. We're kind of writing the scripts. We're kind of, we're coming up with the ideas. Um, the people who do sound for gigs are the people who recorded um, the performances in our film. 
And then there's a lot of crossover uh, with like, yeah, photographers and, um, and yeah, designers and stuff. Great. Um, as I was saying to you over email, it does seem like it's a really good idea just recording like the progress of a scene, like a point of time in a scene. Like, does it feel, I mean, it, it feels to the outsider anyway that Limerick is, you know, kind of thriving in, in one sense anyway, in terms of these kind of DIY bands. Does it feel like that as well to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why we wanted to make this because I don't know, I just believe in just, I, I feel like people can just look back at the past a lot, even like in terms of music documentaries, there are a lot of, they look back because obviously people have done amazing things and that this is where the document of their career is. But I also like when people just document what's happening now and here and now. And um, we fully believe that what's going on in Limerick is just this amazing thing because it just hasn't stopped for the last couple of years. We just keep doing things and people start to recognize it. And I think it's important just to document those things uh, as they're happening and show the importance of the here and now. Was that the idea at the start of the film? Did you have other ideas of what it might have been? Um, at the start, it kind of, I mean, that's just something I kind of think, believe anyway. Like I, I kind of just have this thing that I come back to where even if it's going to see like a live band, I'd rather see the live band that are new and very good now rather than the band that were great in the 80s <laughs> and are, might be still great now, but look, you, you wish, you can never just, you can never get over the fact that you will never have seen them in the 80s. So see them now and just like look for what's in front of you and, rec- and, and just trying to put that emphasis uh, on that. But um, I, don't, I think there was a few things. I think we knew for a start, like one of the things setting out on it was that we didn't want to try to tell a history of music in Limerick. We didn't really want to do this like kind of uh, here's everything that happened because I think once you start doing that, you're setting yourself up to fail because inevitably you're going to miss something either either if it's happening now or if it's if it has happened, you can't know it all. I don't know. You don't want to really tell it all because it might as well just be a Wikipedia page in that case or maybe it's just a big heavy book. But so we wanted to, we made that decision earlier on that it was about here and now and just capturing that moment. It was definitely just, we, we knew if we started doing a retrospective, we would just fail at it and annoy people and, and it would just be an impossible task. So we were just happy just to celebrate, yeah, what's happening. There, there is a pride in the history of music in Limerick though, isn't there? Like you can see that with Dolores O'Riordan, um, I think it's just over five years since she died and it just seems like there's still such a love there for her and you can see it in terms of like post-punk podge wearing the limerick jersey in the film as well it it does seem like there's a real um is like is there like and i'm from cork so you know of course cork people just love talking about old cork bands is it is it a similar thing in limerick uh there is definitely a lot of uh palpable love for the cranberries and loris ridden absolutely you can just you can can't really walk down the street and hear some music coming out of a bar and you can hear someone singing a song cranberries but um but there is yeah i mean i'm also i'm not natively from uh limerick i'm from dundalk myself so in that sense i'm a bit of a blow-in and <laughs> i hear about you talk to people and you hear about the things that used to be happening like um i believe it was amc gigs and Fugazi played in limerick uh maybe nearly 20 years ago and hearing about the yeah, yeah, yeah is coming uh, to town and all this, which I, which blows my mind, which also just reinforces the fact that uh, exciting things are happening, like at whatever moment in time. Uh, and only that people are telling us these things that you talk to in, from Limerick, I wouldn't know that this was even hap- that ever happened. And I think it's really exciting and it encourages the next generation to keep going. Yeah. You know yeah. But things can happen. Yeah, and there's still like really exciting bands coming as well, like whether it's to Dolan's or Pharmacy or Casper or wherever. So there's still exciting bands um, coming. You've chosen to focus on four bands, four acts in uh, the film. His Father's Voice, the Russ and Gano family guys, Merle, Denise and God knows, Hey Rusty and Post Punk Podge. I'm sure that you could have focused on like, like 40 bands probably. Why did you choose those four acts? I think we just 
felt that they offered a different perspective, each of them. Um, Podge in particular, he's been around a while uh, and he's been part of like a Limerick music scene uh, much longer than a lot of us. Um, so he and for me, he's he's one of the most important musicians we have in Limerick. Uh, so he he had to be in it for me. His father's voice are um, like are one of just good friends of ours, and that and they're part of the Cafe Lagrina crew, and they're just a, a, a young band, same as Hey Rusty. Uh, but even then, they offer different kind of ideas, and like they even uh, it was just interesting hearing them what their same kind of after different answers to the same questions were even then comparing that to the Russell Gano lads with Nara Lane and Denise and God knows and Merley. When you watch the film, you see that some people are kind of content doing this small DIY thing. And then Nara Lane are want to be worldwide. But still the kind of common denominator is that it's all on their own terms. They're just going to do things the way they want to do. And I just knew that if you just pick a piece of every actor from different corners like you you know because the work that they are doing uh, in the music scene that their answers will kind of ring true the same even in a different way mm. the the film begins with a picture of denise Murley and god knows like did they do they kind of like um stand out as something that people are trying to achieve in the limerick music scene like can you see that that they're they do have kind of this, like you said, worldwide vision. Um, I think, well, it depends per act, but I think, I think it gives like most people in Limerick hope that like, or it is inspiring just seeing like the amazing things they are doing. And um, like the fact that you can kind of start reaching like this broader platform and not have to just run to labels or do this or that. Uh, I think it's just generally inspiring uh, for Limerick musicians that you can stay living in Limerick and still do this thing and with all their success that they've had. The DIY aspect comes up uh, a couple of times in the film as well. Why do you think that's important to the musicians in Limerick and I guess to fail in Ugraina as well? Mainly because it's the only way things can be done because <laughs> we it's kind of just, okay, we want to put on our friends' bands, I guess we'll just put on the gig and we'll do it. And same with how Fade Negrina started. And I just wanted to put on a festival weekend, a weekend of a festival and invite, again, friends to play and everything. And, and they just did it. And the same with the film was kind of, oh, are we able to do this independently? And we just knew that there was enough capable hands within our team that would be able to make this happen. So... And it's not done without the support as well of people in the city, um, like in terms of putting on gigs in the festival, uh, pharmacy, uh, uh, crew, uh, the commercial, uh, and Treaty City. Like they're all amazing at just they're and Mother Max, by the way. Uh, they're all amazing uh, at um, just really just doing everything they can to help us. And yeah, they're they're always cool. It doesn't even matter how strange the act are. They're like, yeah, we believe you. We like you. <laughs> Let's just do this. So it's it's very support like that's where we probably get the most support within the city is being able to put on strange gigs in in the places that we always go to. There's even that um, scene in the film where you're filming um, post punk Podge doing a performance around this like is it an old antique shop or something in Limerick? <laughs> oh yeah, it's called the Curiosity Shop. Yeah, yeah, and it just ends with um with <laughs> I guess the person who runs it. You don't even notice that she's there, and she's just like, "Oh, that was great, lads." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that even got me after when I like looked at the footage after I didn't realize she was even in the frame. And then she's just like, that's great. Now <laughs> yeah, and like, that's just the thing. I guess it just comes with being in a small city as well. It's like you could just walk into a place and be like, like uh, Steve Savage has also worked in the film. He was shooting the, the video for Podge that day. And they just went in and asked, can we use the place? And they're like, yeah. You didn't really <laughs> ask any questions. And you have this big kind of almost gabber track blaring in the shop in the middle of the day and everything's great. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have any particular highlights from making the film? We've been making this for over two years at this point. So there's been always just little milestones um, when, it, like, when it came to like the production of it and on the shoot days, that was kind of done a lot during lockdown and they were great that we could actually, those were kind of moments where 
we were able to be inside a place together, which wasn't happening at the time. Uh, so stuff like that gave us a lot of joy. And then throughout it, just every so often, maybe we'd make a milestone and just like an edit or something's really come together really nicely. Um, one of, I don't know, even just one of the highlights for me so far was I did an internal screening in uh, the commercial where his father's voice are filmed. I showed the film just just to our like failing the grainer team, um, and just that was like that. Even that was just a huge highlight for me, just because we'd be kind of working on this for so long, and finally there was an end product and or something close. It was our first draft, but it was just felt like okay, we've actually made something here, and it was the first time people we, we all saw the kind of bigger picture with it. So yeah, I think that might have been my highlight so far. Great. And it's not just a film either out of place. It's going to be a photography book. You're also working on a cassette as well with it. Do you want to talk about them? Yeah. So during our production, uh, during the shoots, we, uh, Hugh Heffernan and Leah Maeve Kenny, who she, by the way, is in his, the basis in his father's voice. So the two of them started just photographing kind of behind the scenes and capturing kind of just what we were doing um on set and taking portraits of the artists and then that kind of grew into a bigger project itself where once we were kind of realizing the kind of bigger story that we talked about of just like the city and the spaces and who gets to do what in the city that started to reflect in the photography and so that kind of like broadened their photography out into like the city as well so the end product of that is a beautiful book that, uh, that they designed and uh, sequenced and put together. And as well as that, then we have a cassette featuring Michal Keating's uh, soundtrack for the film. And that's our A side. And the B side is um, a, a kind of, we call it rearrangements by Deviant and Naive Ted. So we sent uh, uh, Andy Connolly the, the um, just audio clippings from the film and he just came out with something amazing that we knew that he could because he always does that sort of thing um so yeah we have a book and a cassette that we are selling on tour and we have them all ready to go great great and you are going on tour you're playing play you're, <laughs> yeah. be show, you're going to be showing the film at the bell table the irish premiere in limerick uh on january 27th and then heading to cork dublin dundalk belfast and sligo so what can people expect from that are you looking forward to the the bell table show yes very much so um yeah it's it's uh we're leading up to it now this week and yeah it's it's a, it's a case of have we got everything ready so i found out today that like the dcp for actually playing the film uh, our delivery is actually working so that's a big relief for me um <laughs> just as simple, as simple as that um yeah our, our like our bell table show is um sold out so we have loads of people coming to it uh, we're gonna have a q a with mary Conlon from ormston house and we're doing similar things across the country. We have a few more Q&As. Um, we have one in, in Cork with Mike McGraw, Brian, and Belfast with Brian Coney, and Dublin with Andrea Cleary. And then as well as that, we're organizing kind of a few after parties in some of the places. We have Robbie Kitt in Dublin and, and a few other uh, things going around. So, yeah, very much looking forward to it. And I don't know. I'm very the way you said you're playing. I'm definitely thinking of it in terms of a band touring. That's how I've understood any of this because we don't necessarily come from a film background. We come from music background. So it's like okay, we've out of place is our album. Let's bring it around the place. And uh, for me, it's just a good excuse to kind of go travel. And I want to go and meet people and you know show this film in really cool places. Very good, very good. And two final questions about Limerick to to wrap up. I like checking in every now and again with people. How is the scene doing at the moment? Does it feel like it's uh, it's okay at the moment? Are there any crises facing the place? <laughs> Where do you crisis. start? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Yeah, there's no real. No, it's actually just very lonely at the moment. It's uh, there's just like the thing I find with being in Limerick is just there's always something on if. If someone's not organizing one thing for this night, there's another night on. And like, I find I just need to take, and I don't often, but I find sometimes I need to step back and not go to everything because everything is always on and you don't really want to miss everything. So 
I kind of fail at avoiding them and I go to most of these things. Um, but yeah, there's just, yeah, a lot of people doing class stuff all of the time. It's all different stuff and it's all exciting. And you find you just have even just the same, a lot of people just go to one gig, we go to the other gig or this and that. So it's just, you just, it's our way of just getting to see everybody and having fun. Great. And any new acts that you're particularly excited about coming out of the city at the moment? Any that jump um, to mind? I know I'm putting you on the spot there. <laughs> who's, who's the new acts? Uh, well, again, my friends, it, everyone's just friends with everyone, but it's, yeah, my friends band PPP are recording their album uh, at the moment. Uh, and they are, that's uh, Chris Quigley, uh, James Reedy, and, uh, and, and Brendan McInerney. Uh, they've, they're in the middle of recording an album and also the Lowfield. Um, they're just two new bands that have just come out since lockdown so i'm really excited excited just for those to get some music out they've been playing a, a bunch of gigs but to get something recorded and uh, everyone to hear it i'm really excited for people to hear what we've been hearing at gigs very good very good well listen thanks for uh chatting thanks for uh letting me see out of place it's really really great so congratulations uh i'm putting it together I, I can't even imagine like how many hours you spent yeah. working on it but uh Hopefully you're proud of it and it's going to be great to be able to take it out on the road, out on tour around Ireland. So congrats. Yes. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Nice one. Thanks for chatting. Thanks to Graham for taking the time to talk to me about Out of Place. That's the talking part of the show done now and it's time for some new Irish music. It always takes a couple of weeks for things to crank back into gear in January, but it's a strong start to the year and we've got three new tracks to play you out this week. First, it's the return of David Kitt with a song called Wishing Well off his ninth studio album, Idiot Check, which is out on March 31. He says, Wishing Well is about being on the run from memories slash your past and memories fading, morphing, appearing in dreams and asking yourself, what are you running from exactly? Running from yourself or something other than yourself? Some ghostly spectre that you can't really pinpoint. It's also about the void left by the absence of religion, superstition and who we blame or project things onto in that absence. The song explores where these two things overlap.
David Kitt with Wishing Well. Next is Soft on Crime and Telex Eyes, the two minute opener to their debut album New Suite, S U I T E, which is out on February 2nd. A three piece from Dublin, Soft on Crime pack 12 songs into 26 minutes on New Suite, which they say was rehearsed in a damp basement, recorded in a converted swimming pool, continued in the band members' homes and finished in a clandestine 15-minute visit to the music department of a nearby college. You can listen to three tracks from the album ahead of its release now and pre-order it at softoncrime.bandcamp.com. Here's Telex Eyes. Finally this week, it's the return of Montauk Hotel with a track called Dive, in parentheses, Come Afloat. A three-piece from Dublin, this is their first single since 2019 and reflects on the uncertain border that separates present from future, hesitation from release, uneasiness from comfort and deceit from honesty. The song discusses friendship, insecurity and feelings of homecoming in a motionless town. 
It was recorded and mixed by the prolific Dan Fox at Sonic Studios and will play out with this song this week. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, this is the first of many shows over the course of 2023. If you enjoyed, please rate and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and tell a friend. And if you want to get in touch or send me music, get me at thepointofeverything at gmail.com. Thanks to Damien and Murder Capital for the chats. Thanks to Graham for talking to me about Out of Place. Try and see that somewhere around Ireland in the next months. And thanks to the Three Acts for letting me play their songs. This is Dive Come Afloat by Mondoc Hotel. <laughs>